0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share, and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode.
1: This is episode 106, and today we'll be chatting with Todd Garland, the founder and CEO of Buy Sell Ads.
0: Todd started diving into tech during college and got into startups shortly after. He joined HubSpot as an early employee and quickly got inspired to start a company of his own.
1: Sell ads is now flipping the ad tech industry around with a unique, transparent, and simple approach. Completely bootstrapped and acting as a marketplace between the advertisers and publishers, they now work with over 1,200 publishers that strategically place ads that don't invade the consumer's privacy and online rights.
0: Todd joins us to share his story, how he managed to build the first version of the service, why Buy Sell Ads is a completely different advertising model, how they've managed to remain bootstrapped and scaled to selling more than 6 billion ad impressions each month, how they've approached acquisitions to help fuel growth, and much more.
1: So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at hack to start drop us an email at heyathack or share your feedback right in iTunes with a review, good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started.
0: Hey Todd, thanks so much for being on the show today.
2: Thank you guys for having me.
0: Yeah, we're super excited to hear about uh, what you're up to and, and what it's been like building buy-sell ads. But uh, you know, before we dive into that, can you tell us uh, and the listeners a little bit more about yourself? like Where are you from and, and what did you study?
2: Uh, sure thing. So um, I grew up in a small town in Maine called Cape Porpoise, a small little fishing village. Maybe like a thousand people live there. And from Maine, I made my way to Brazil for a, a year of study abroad and then not really being interested in college. I therefore majored in Portuguese in college, which not to say there's anything wrong with that, but uh, that was just uh, my default option at the time. This was right around the time when the web was kind of becoming a thing. Um, I know it was a thing before, you know, 1999, but, but more this was really after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, this is really just when I started getting interested in the web. And that's really what I spent a lot of my time in, in college doing is just building random things on the web. You know copying and pasting c g i scripts and stuff like that because I'm not necessarily a, a developer by trade I'm more of a, a front end user experience professional by trade, but yeah, I just started playing around with the stuff, fell in love with the web. I love to build stuff
0: that's awesome and so where did your passion for sort of tech and entrepreneurship kind of emerge from that
2: yeah, you know that's that's a really good question. I enjoy uh solving problems, I guess, and I know that's like a really broad and generic thing to say, but um I guess that's what I love about the web is that it's so open and free and anybody with a, a code editor and a, an internet connection can contribute to what's out there uh, for better or worse i might add and that's really where my interest is 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 like the fascination with a being able to buy this machine for let's say a couple thousand dollars and then having it create this lifestyle or you know provide for for you and a family right and then b like being able to punch things into a keyboard and have them actually look like something on the other side that whole idea is just fascinating to me. And I enjoy the the challenge of it all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's really cool. And so you mentioned, you know, you're more of a front end kind of guy. So how did you first get involved with building front ends, a little bit of design, a little bit of development? And how have you seen that kind of space evolve uh, since you got
2: started? I mean, really, it was uh, a means to an end. Uh, for me in college, uh, I would build websites for different departments in the at the university. I was at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. I built the site for like nutrition program, the, you know, dining program, like the Spanish and Portuguese department, like all these other departments. That was my job in college, um, how I made money and uh, paid for uh, most of my school. And, you know, that was back when I'm scared to admit it, but I think that was like Microsoft front page where you're like literally dragging in a, a, a whizzy wig. Uh, the table cells around trying to hug them up close with, like, the width of an image. Uh, Then from there, I think when I really got, like, like, hey, this is what I love was uh, when CSS came around and became a thing, and the whole tableless design, like, uh, movement, uh, CSS and Garden, that was probably back in, what, 2003 at this point? And so that's really when, like, I felt like my passion was taken to the next level, because you could just do so much more stuff from a user experience standpoint, I felt like, with... those new technologies at that time. And then from there, you know, I, I joined an interactive agency and we were building tons of websites for other people. And eventually I decided like, Hey, like, you know, maybe I should do something for myself. I'm tired of building three or four different websites a month and having all these crazy deadlines and not being able to focus on a single product and like, you know, really hit it out of the park from a user experience perspective with something uh, that I would feel more continued ownership of.
1: You yeah, know for sure that that's a really cool way to kind of get into the the industry. I remember my first days um, in kind of the design school, and I remember the teachers like, "Okay, let's build a website." and the first website that we built was created from exporting from photoshop and then from nice. there he <laughs> and then from there he's like okay well just open up dreamweaver and the files that are created and then you can drag and drop and move around things and i just remember after going through this experience and looking back it was wow that was such a bad way to create a website for the first time <laughs> yeah totally
2: no i mean I, I feel like a lot of us who learned before like there was a way to be taught the right way to do it because i mean like the you know programs for back in in the late '90s and early 2000s in like you know, professional programs to learn how to become a web professional, everything was so new that they just didn't exist or were in very, very early early stages. and so you know I, I think a, a lot of us stumbled through the front pages and dream weavers of the world to uh, evolve to the point where we can now you know consider ourselves more formidable professionals in the marketplace. <laughs> yeah, exactly so, so prior to
1: starting your own company, which we'll get to a little bit later in the episode. You were a designer and SEO specialist at HubSpot. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about HubSpot and how you created the opportunity to work there?
2: Totally. So uh, back in the HubSpot days, um, interesting story. So I uh, left the interactive agency, decided, like I said, I was tired of building stuff for other people. I started working on the idea behind BuySel ads in my spare time while also doing some freelancing on the side. And I was looking to pick up an extra freelancing client. I was on Craigslist. And uh, unbeknownst to me, there was uh, Darmesh on the other side of this craigslist posts and for those who don't know darmesh is one of the co-founders of hubspot and so i met with him and you know we really just hit it off keep in mind too like back then like seo was more uh, technical seo it was like uh, make sure you have an h1 header in your page titles Mm -hmm. stuff like that so it was it was very like basic very technical and that was even before like the movement behind inbound marketing and hubspot story really got started and so you know this was gosh i think there were uh, maybe six or seven people in the room at HubSpot at that time. Um, I think I ended up as employee number nine. Um, now they're probably, gosh, I don't know, like fourteen, fifteen hundred 1,500 people, publicly traded, You know, almost worth $2 billion. They're doing tons of great things, none of which that I can take credit for because I was there so early. And at that time, we were really just trying to figure out how to help small businesses acquire more customers. And the overall thesis was that we can help them do that by, uh, abstracting away some of the things that are really, really difficult for small and medium-sized businesses. And those things were uh, having a website, having a blog set up, having analytics, having lead forms and uh, lead workflows and uh, lead scoring. And so what we set out to do is kind of take all these disparate tools that people were clusing together, like Google Analytics, WordPress, you know, Salesforce, all these different things, and bundle them up into a package that a small and medium-sized business owner could use to help grow their business. And so that was really the nexus of the idea behind uh, inbound marketing and and HubSpot's story. That's really cool. So what were some of the projects that you had the opportunity to work on while you were at HubSpot? Sure. So back then, I mean, it was so early. We were, you know, quite literally building the initial app, the initial HubSpot app. And I think one of the more exciting projects I worked on was Website Grader and the other suite of Grader products. And if anyone hasn't heard of those, basically, it's at Grader.com now. The way Website Grader works is you would go uh, put your URL into Website Grader. It would go out and uh, evaluate your site programmatically. It would say, like, hey, you know, it looks like you're not providing a a reference to your RSS feed in your head tags. It looks like you're not linking enough here. It it was just, it would go through and, and try to evaluate your site based on the things that we could tell externally about the site to help give you some advice on how to improve your site. And, you know, unbeknownst to us, Back then, it turned out to be one of the most, I think, fabulous uh, inbound marketing stories that uh, is on the internet today. This thing was crazy; it would generate like, you know, literally tens of thousands of leads for HubSpot each month, and it was great. It was a, a solid lead gen product for the company. That's super cool.
1: I re- I actually remember using that product a couple times for websites that I was working on in the early days. So that's that's really cool that you had nice. the opportunity to work on it.
2: That's great. That's that's great to hear.
1: So, what's it like working inside a fast growing startup? And did it
2: have an impact on wanting to start and create buy sell ads? Yeah, 100. You know, I mean, if, if I'm being honest, I think the the speed at which HubSpot grew was uh, a little too quick for me. Uh, where I was coming from at the time was like a small company, you know, like less than 10 people, and then all of a sudden uh, we're raising our Series A and we're 50 people, and then raising a Series B. And I don't want to say like because of the fast growth that's that's why I left, but like uh, I feel as though at my Young age at the time. I guess I was twenty three to twenty six or twenty four to twenty six, something like that. What it really helped me do is open my eyes to business and in life in general. It's like wow, like the people that create the products and these companies that like we use every day, they're just like you and I. Um, it's not like some mysterious place where people go off and create wonderful things. Like everyone is capable of creating something meaningful uh, if you can apply yourself and. Of course, have a little bit of luck and be in the right place in the right time with the right company. But uh, it, it was a very, and this sounds uh, pretty cheesy, but it was like a, a world is your oyster kind of mo- moment for me. And then, you know, I'd say what it really did for me is it gave me the confidence that I could go out and do something on my own, not only from just being there and helping build some of the initial product and seeing it used and people paying real money for, um, but also just the founders of Hopespot, Brian and Armesh. The story I like to tell is that the, the first thing out of their mouth, as soon as I gave my notice and said, I'm leaving to go do my own thing, was excitement. They were, it was really weird. Um, it was like they were genuinely excited for me. And I, I like to believe that it's not because they wanted to get rid of me, um, because we uh, had a good working relationship. But you know, just seeing folks like that support people like me going out and doing their, their own thing next was, was encouraging.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, as as we mentioned, you know, you, you left to start buy sell ads where you're currently the CEO. So for those who don't know or aren't familiar with online ads, you know, wh- what is buy sell ads, I guess?
2: Sure. So our uh, entire uh, goal in life is to bridge the gap between an advertiser and a publisher. And so typically or traditionally, what happens is you know, an advertiser goes to some ad network or ad buying company and they kind of punch in their order into a form, hit submit, and then it goes through this like this giant black box, and then somehow magically on some website that you don't know, uh, your ad appears and the ad network or company is telling you that it's in the right place. And so what we set out to do is remove all of that kind of gunk in the middle and all of the unknowns and connect an advertiser and a publisher directly, because that's the way that we believe ads should be bought uh, at scale online is directly between an advertiser and a publisher. You know, I I know some folks at first thought might may think like, "Hey, that isn't that kind of backwards? Like, isn't that how you buy magazine ads and TV ads and stuff like that?" And like, can't we do things that are more exciting on the web because of all the data and all the uh, algorithms and and fancy computer things? And it's like, well, sure you can do that, but we feel as though it's better when ads are bought more like you buy magazine ads or or TV ads. You know the audience you're trying to reach. You purchase that audience from a, a a source who's validating that that audience is real right and then you get exactly what you paid for and that's something that's actually really unique in the ad tech marketplace because um and not because but as evidenced by uh the rampant fraud and um you know as recently as this week right like uh, congressional hearings about fraud and ad tech which is absolutely crazy and so i think you know what we're really trying to do is bring it back to basics for folks here's where your ad will be here's how much it will cost make friends with the publisher and get a deal done. And we have the software that facilitates that process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so where did that idea for for that type of network kind of come from? And how did you put together the first version of that service?
2: So speaking of Dreamweaver, back in 2006 or seven, whenever I started putting together the first version of Buy Still Ads, my skills weren't as advanced to work in a program other than that. And so I actually used a server-side plugin for Dreamweaver called Interact, uh, which handled all of the the back end transactional things for, for buy sell ads. And so I really, you know, I, I don't know how, but I somehow clued together this version one that looked pretty. But like, if you look behind the scenes, it was absolutely horrific. That all came from uh, I was working on a few hobby sites at the time, and advertisers would contact me wanting to buy ads on those sites. And so I wanted a way to sell them those ads without actually having to go through a long, drawn out sales process. Like, there are all these manual steps. I think at one point I counted them up. There's like 17 different steps when in reality, like I just wanted to be able to provide those advertisers a shopping cart, just like amazon.com that would list what was available for sale and allow them to purchase it readily. And so that's, that was really the genesis of buy sell ads.
0: That's really cool. So buy sell ads has been completely bootstrapped since day one. So how have you managed to do that?
2: Well, you know, I didn't, Actually, understand what venture capital even meant as a term or as a as a practice back when I first started building Bieselads. And you know, if I'm being honest, one thing that I think does trip me up sometimes with Bicelads is that I'm a little too practical and a little too realistic. But at the same time, that's kind of what's kept us grounded in our bootstrapped ways, and you know, believing that our customers should be the ones funding our growth. And obviously, if there's a point in time at which we feel as though we can uh, take advantage of some you know, some larger growth. Uh, ahead of revenue, then of course we'd do that and we'd raise some some money to do that. But we uh, most certainly enjoy kind of sticking to the basics, right? Money goes in one side and comes out the other and some portion of that is ours. That keeps our business going.
0: Yeah, it's pretty incredible as a, as a bootstrap company to be able to do all that. And kind of continuing along that, uh, you guys have had some pretty big name acquisitions over the years, including Fusion Ads in, in 2011, Beacon Ads the same year, Carbon Ads in 2012, and Launchbit in 2014. So how did you approach these acquisitions as a bootstrap company and, and what did they help kind of bring to what you had already built with Buy, Sell Ads in terms of growth and, and you know market position?
2: Sure, so I mean, there's a couple of things we look for in an acquisition. Number one is that it's something that is profitable or could be profitable with the right operations and ownership. And two is something that's really authentic. And with every single company that we've acquired, they all fit that criteria. I guess more importantly, they also fit into our larger strategic vision, which surrounds the idea of authentic- authenticity and bridging that gap between an advertiser and a publisher. For those who aren't familiar, Fusion Ads and Carbon Ads are, are very, very similar, and they were competitors. And they were also competitors to a, a side project we had at the time that was called AdPacks um, that kind of lived within the Ads family. And so what we ended up doing was we merged all of these together, and I, I believe collectively in the uh, the surviving brand there, which is Carbon Ads, we're actually larger than the deck network. Um, but we also serve like a different vertical, right? So we don't really kind of intersect with them too much. Uh, we're more on the like developer side. Uh, in terms of the audience that carbonides targets. But Carbonize is really unique, right? <clears throat> it's a single ad per page. It's unobtrusive. We don't do any uh, tracking or, uh, you know, we're not dropping pixels on users and, and violating their privacy or their trust. And, um, you know, it really fits in with the philosophy of how we believe advertising should be on the web, which is highly relevant, um, but getting there without doing anything that's uh, offensive or obtrusive to the user. And that carbonides fits that package through and through. With Beacon ads, which we've actually since sold, that was a Christian ad network. The reason why we purchased that was because they were actually running on our software. And um, it fit in with some of our plans for scale. And then at some point we decided it was it was better to, to uh, sell that asset. And then with Launchbit, I would say that's probably been one of our larger uh, surprises. And I believe since we've acquired Launchbit, it's grown year over year. I'm going to say it's around like 600%. It's something crazy like that. So it's pretty cool, yeah. And uh, for those who don't know what LaunchBit is, it's cost-per-click-based advertising, which obviously isn't a new concept. But what we're doing is we're getting those ads placed in, uh, I would say, uh, more unique places. Um, So uh, be it an email newsletter or on a website that otherwise doesn't have any advertising yet. Um, We have a perfect crop of advertisers for that audience. Again, in an unobtrusive, non Kind of tracky or uh, offensive kind of way to the user
0: yeah absolutely that's really cool and so you know you've spoke a little bit about the you know the evolution of, of advertising on the web and sort of you know your position and thoughts around it but where do you see the industry continuing to evolve especially on mobile or, or within uh, apps
2: yeah so I mean I think advertising on the web is at a crossroads. You know, for uh, so many years, since the beginning of advertising on the web, ad tech as an industry overall has viewed it as a two-sided marketplace where you have advertisers and publishers and nobody has actually been representing the side of the consumer, right? And ad tech, like the consumers are actually the most uh, important asset in that transaction between the advertiser and publisher, because if they don't exist, then there's no deal to be done. There's no audience to be reached. There's no sale to be made. There's no money to be made for the publisher. And so... What we're seeing now is that uh, companies like Adblock Plus and the others, they're representing uh, the consumer side. And so all of a sudden, ad tech is like, wait a second, we didn't know that there was somebody else at the table we need to negotiate with. And it's like, of course there is, you idiots, like wake up. These people are now empowered to vote with this tool, uh, be it an ad blocker, a content blocker, whatever you want to call it. And they're saying, I don't like the way that advertising is right now on the web, and I need you to do something about it or else I'm going to turn it off. And it's an incredibly powerful thing that I don't believe ad tech has fully woken up to. We believe at ads, we are very well in tuned with the concerns of uh, people who block ads. I mean, heck, more than half of our company uses an ad blocker, right? And that's saying something for uh, an ad tech company. And so ad tech is at a crossroads. There are challenges that more than half of the industry is not willing to uh, admit are real straight up to the head of the IAB, uh, which in and of itself is is embarrassing as an ad tech company, and um, there are real, very real solutions that need to be put in place to ensure not just the future of advertising on the web, because that's not even what it's about, right? To ensure uh, the continued creation of the web being free and open. I mean, there's no there's no better way to bypass net uh, neutrality and what folks in government have been trying to impose upon the web, then all of a sudden creating this additional paid tier of the internet, right? Um, On many levels, the internet needs to continue to have a free tier, and that will continue to be supported by ads. But if ad tech doesn't fix itself, um, or check itself into rehab, so to speak, consumers are going to continue to vote by turning the the ads off. And that's a, um, a huge problem. And, you know, we believe the solution is actually kind of simple, like just listen to what they're telling you. I mean, not all users are as apocalyptic as many of the more vocal ad block proponents may sound, uh, where it's like advertising is dead, you know blah 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 uh, ads don't have a future on the web. like the vast majority of consumers aren't that apocalyptic and they don't actually have a problem with ads if ads in turn respect them and how they want to experience the web and so we're in need of uh, a ton of reform right and that comes down to like privacy. Uh, respecting consumers' privacy, respecting, uh, uh, which also ties in with the data that uh, AdTech is collecting on these folks, and really coming up with a better solution, uh, not only from a user experience perspective, but from a privacy perspective, and one that continues to validate ongoing the value exchange that has to be mutually beneficial for all three parties instead of just the two parties that AdTech has historically catered to.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a huge challenge, but obviously where there's a challenge, there's opportunity as as entrepreneurs know. So seeing that evolution in the ad tech industry, how has your day-to-day role at BuySell Ads changed and what's next for you guys?
2: Yeah, sure thing. So, I mean, my day to day really uh, revolves around making sure that the different teams at bicycle Ads are, are set up to continue to push towards their, their goals uh, individually and collectively. Uh, and so, I'm working with folks, doing my best uh, to drag them over the finish line every day. And, you know, admittedly, many times they're the ones dragging me over the finish line. And then, um, other than that, it's really focusing on new opportunities and figuring out how we're going to pull off what we're trying to pull off. And back when AdSense started, And gosh, I'm going to butcher the date, but it was sometime in the the mid-90s or mid to late 90s. It was a great solution um, for a very real problem that really helped propel a lot of great content creation on the web. I can't say that without also admitting that it also propelled a lot of horrible content creation on the web. Um, And so you know, uh, in many ways, I feel as though it was a perfect solution, but at the wrong time. And what we're trying to uh, do right now is uh, right a lot of those wrongs and build the kind of AdSense version two for the web and we don't believe that it needs to be as cheap feeling as AdSense felt many years along the way and we believe that it's a a premium solution for people who are creating very high quality content and who are looking to be fairly compensated for the the work that they're contributing to their their audience and we believe that's a huge opportunity and we're we're doing our best to to keep moving advertising on the web forward and um we couldn't be more thrilled with all the challenges happening in ad tech, because it means there's more opportunity.
1: Those are some amazing thoughts, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing how Buy Sell ads is going to help solve this current problem that we're facing. But um, on another note, what are some of the biggest opportunities that you see for
2: entrepreneurs, like any technologies or industries that really interest you right now? Um, you know, this, this is something that really stuck in my mind be, between an interview uh, with Jason Calicanus and... DHH, David Heinrich Hansen. I felt like I was going to butcher his name saying it, so uh, I said his Twitter handle instead. Anyway, Jason asked him a very similar question, and he said, I'm working on my best idea right now. If I wasn't, then I would stop and then start working on my best idea, whatever that may be. And I feel very similarly. I feel as though everything that we're doing on Biasal Ads, I kind of feel to the the bone, to the core, and it's my absolute best idea right now, and there's nothing else that I would rather be working on. Uh, That being said, I mean, I think, you know, for other entrepreneurs who are out there, either wanting to start something or feel inspired to start something, or um, are kind of going through that process of self-discovery and discovery of different markets and things like that. Like, I mean, really, just look around you, and you know, I guarantee you, with uh, with everybody, there's something in your life that that doesn't feel right or feels broken or feels as though it could be greatly improved. And there's plenty of stuff to fix out there in the world. I mean, you know, just look at—I would say—label uh, them as archaic industries like like government and uh, currency and healthcare, stuff like that. Whenever something feels like really, really messed up, that's a pretty good sign that there's a chance for some innovation there. And ultimately, I feel as though like that's kind of how a lot of the best ideas get started is that like, you know, somebody sees something, they feel something that isn't right or is an injustice and they they try and change that.
1: For sure. What, What are some of the most
2: recent apps that you've downloaded to use for personal or professional life? So I like like I said earlier in the um uh, started of talking I'm uh, a designer or a user experience person by trade less so a developer but at the same time I'm I'm continuously intrigued by uh, being able to build things and uh, I feel as though in 2016 on the web being able to build things means you need to be well versed not only in uh, stuff for the front end but also uh, back end and so I'm I'm always uh, interested in improving my my back end skills and um right now I'm fascinated with an app development framework called Ionic. And what I like about it is that it's it's dumbed down for a person like me who can't you know build an actual iOS or Android app natively, yet has some of the, the performance and speed requirements that a native app would have on those devices. And so just being able to go from web technologies that I'm familiar with, like JavaScript, CSS, HTML, and have that magically transformed by Ionic into something that I can get on my phone to me, is fascinating and feels very empowering, and I'm excited to continue to learn more about building hybrid apps with that framework.
0: Yeah, they've done they've done some amazing things. Uh, Max and his team they they got a really a really awesome uh, winner on their hands. We've actually had him on the show before, a long, long time ago, um, and and it's been crazy to see their their growth since.
2: Yeah, no, it's 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 awesome. I think um, they've got a lot of really good uh, things going on, a lot of interesting things around their community as well. So it's it's exciting for sure.
0: Absolutely. So do you have any last thoughts or personal mottos that uh, you live by and you think others uh, should know about?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, growing up, I lost my parents at a, uh, an unfortunate age. I can't say a young age because I was 23, but uh, obviously I would have preferred for them to be around longer. And growing up, one of the things I remember the most going into my dad's bedroom is he had this uh, random ratty looking piece of paper framed on the wall. And it said, he who is afraid of making mistakes is afraid to succeed. And one reason why that really hits home for me is because, you know, I uh, and it's hard to admit this, right? Because you don't like to talk about uh, family and things that should be or feel like they should be more private. But, um, you know, he made a lot of like business mistakes in his life. And like, I feel horrible saying that because he's not here to defend himself and, you know, maybe tell me otherwise. But, you know, like we uh, lived in a, a, a rich town, but we're clearly not of the uh, the status uh, that was average in the town just seeing him go through some of those struggles but continue to stay dedicated to his family and continue to take risks i feel as though is something that um, i'll take with me forever and just the idea that you've got to go out there and try something otherwise you're afraid to succeed and you know being afraid to succeed doesn't feel like something that anybody should be willing to submit themselves to
0: yeah, absolutely. Those are some. That, that's that's a great insight to, to end the show with. Todd, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It was awesome to have you on.
2: Great. Thank you guys as well.
0: Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon.
1: Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on the web at hacktostart.com. We couldn't do the show without your awesome support, so please leave us a review. Until next week.